Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Reddit Views. The best cheating videos on YouTube. If you enjoy this content, remember to subscribe and turn on notifications. Now let's get into the video. I saw two guys double team my GF. I try to die. I shared a tale of being cheated on by my college GF and the dreadful fixation I developed to pursue revenge on her a few months ago. This relates to the story. However, years later, I entered into another relationship and got cheated on again, but this time, I didn't get revenge, I just walked away. It's a narrative about what not to do after being cheated on, and how I learned from my mistakes and attempted to do the right thing this time, despite the difficulty. Story I embarked on a lengthy tiresome mission to get even with my GF in college, Lisa, after I had a nasty cheating event. After that, I was bitter and cynical towards women. After college, I spent years in Central America doing and selling narcotics. Never thought about entering into a relationship or being vulnerable with another lady. I admit I was a horrible degenerate at the time. After a few years of this, I was even more depressed. The medications had failed. I was bored of having superficial, fleeting connections with women. I quit my job in Central America and returned to the US. I called an old buddy and made arrangements to temporarily move in while I recovered. When I returned to the USA, I decided to kick my nasty drug habit from after my college breakup with Lisa. It wasn't easy, but I was determined to try again. I also decided to try dating again. I felt pathetic giving up on meeting someone wonderful because a college girl betrayed my heart by cheating on me. I had a few decent dates with local ladies a few months after moving into my friend's house and was starting to warm up to the notion of getting close to a woman again. I met this girl, let's call her Kate, on a dating app and instantly fell in love with her. Her hair was burgundy red, not orange, but more of a fluorescent red. Her son was three and looked a lot like me. Kate, like me, had just left an abusive marriage. She also had a serious drug habit and was grieving. She had cleaned up and was ready to date again. So we both recognized one other's emotional state and could continue cautiously and not expect too much from each other. We both feared commitment and had trust difficulties owing to past relationships and drug use. We shared so much else. Kate even mentioned she preferred dating the male version of herself since we were both absolutely honest. We got closer over time. Her son liked me and called me dad. He couldn't remember his biological father, so I was the only other father figure he knew. The day I trained him to pee on a tree sealed the deal for me and he became my son. Kate worked at a nightclub and I worked in finance. We bought an apartment together, bought a car together, and were in the process of buying a house together. We planned to marry and have children. In our minds, we had entirely recovered from our prior drug addictions and emotional traumas. We both crawled out of the abyss and found some serenity and pleasure. So I thought. We never had any jealousy or suspicions towards each other. 
We never looked into each other's phones and knew each other's passwords and login credentials, so we never had trust concerns. Till this. I used to get up early before work to walk Kate into the apartment from the parking lot because she didn't get home until after 3 or 4 a.m. And it was a bit of a dangerous walk. The club used to close at 2 a.m., but has recently started remaining up till 4 a.m. most nights. So said Kate. One morning, Kate said she was leaving work late to pick up a buddy. Then she told me she was five minutes late. Since I knew where her buddy lived, it would have only taken an extra five minutes to drop her off on the way to our apartment. She gets home an hour later than normal and something is off. She was high. Not on cannabis, but on coke or molly. I asked her why she was late and she said her friend's car broke down and they couldn't fix it, so they were late. Because this was the first time in almost a year that this had happened, I dismissed my suspicions as a result of my earlier experiences with infidelity and dishonesty. I swore Kate would never do anything shady she had gone through the same thing I had and knew every detail of my previous relationship. She would never do that to me. It happened to her too. I wasn't even worried about her cheating. I was more worried she was back on strong drugs. Slowly but gradually, situations like these became increasingly common. It started happening once a month and then almost every week. We battled over it a few evenings when I thought she was high on drugs. She finally revealed one day that she was exhausted and needed to pick me up to get through work, but that was it. She was consistently arriving at 5, 6, or even 7 a.m. Her club closed at 2 or 4 a.m. depending on the day. So she'd go to a waffle house with co-workers after work or her car wouldn't start. Then one morning, her texts appeared odd. She didn't answer quickly and seemed to be phoning it in when she texted me. She was doing the I'll be home late dance again. But it lingered this time. She said she'd leave at 6 a.m., two hours after the club. So at 6.30 I went out to meet her in the parking lot. It was sleeting outdoors. A blizzard hit the area. After an hour, I hear nothing from her. I text and phone her often. When I call her, she says she's on her way home. An hour passes until she eventually pulls up. 9.30 a.m. I couldn't leave her son alone, and I generally left around 7.30. I'm snowed in from head to toe. I open the car door. Kate looks at me as if I'm a ghost. And she starts babbling uncomfortably and haltingly. She said she was pulled over but not ticketed and forced to stop for gas. Her friend was suffering a nervous breakdown, so she stayed with her after work. She even started blaming me for stuff like not getting pulled over if I had registered sooner. She could have told me this by texting or contacting me at any time during this whole ordeal. It was all really odd. During our walk into the apartment, I observe how dilated her pupils are and how she is visibly grinding her teeth. But I was fatigued and freezing from waiting outdoors for hours, worrying about her. I attempted to divert myself with video games. I was sure she did cocaine at work or after work. She had other plans. Who did she coke with? Or just her friends? S.C.E.C.U.L. Drogu is she cheating? I was moderately concerned she was cheating. Her drug use worried me more. We've both had our runs with them. So we simply smoked cannabis and drank occasionally. 
We weren't sober like a 12-step program, but we tried to keep it calm. Worse than her drug usage, her lying about it triggered my ex Lisa's college deception and cheating anguish. I didn't care if she did drugs, I simply wanted her to be honest with me. I couldn't bear the idea of being in another relationship where my GF lied to me. My mind spiraled. I felt betrayed. After our difficult pasts, Kate and I helped each other rebuild our lives. I never imagined she'd lie to me. We had a very open and honest relationship and never had any issues like this previously. In my quest to discover whether she was lying about the drugs, I needed proof. When she departed for work the next day, I went looking for something. I had no idea what I wanted. A Coke bag? Maybe a pill? I went into every drawer, coat pocket, and cabinet top. She could hide anything. Nothing. I tried to rationalize my fears. Because of my PTSD and past relationship issues, I became compulsive in attempting to locate something that wasn't there. I decided to quit trying to figure out if she was lying because I could end up ruining a wonderful relationship. Kate never lied to me or worse, cheated on me. Her ex-husband cheated on her when she was pregnant and hid his drug addiction from her. So I couldn't see her treating me like her ex-husband treated her. So I let go. She returned to normal times for a while. This helped me relax. I started to pity my paranoia. Until one night, when I'm at a table with a strange man, let's call him Jerry. While conversing with Jerry, I remarked that my girlfriend works at club name. Jerry's sister, Sarah, joined us while we played pool and stated she used to work at the same club. When I inquired if she knew Kate, she claimed she did, but they weren't close. They only knew each other briefly. I then said I hoped Kate had a day job so we could spend more time together after work. I informed Sarah that since the club shuts at four, I will only see Kate for an hour or two before leaving for work. Sarah then adds, puzzled, wasn't it 2 a.m.? We only closed at 4 a.m. On Friday and Saturday nights. They changed the hours after you departed Sarah then tells me that her roommate still works there and that she still gets home at 2 p.m. On weekdays. So I shook it off and continued the game of pool. After the game, I couldn't get Sarah's words out of my thoughts. I looked up Kate's club and they were only open till 4 a.m. on Friday and Saturday nights and 2 a.m. on the other nights. I convinced myself that they must not have changed the times on their website after making modifications. I knew Kate was planning something. That's why I avoided relationships for years, fearing being betrayed again. I was in denial. Sunday night came next. On my drive home at 4.30 p.m., I texted Kate to ask her when she would be off that night. To speak with her about her son, I called the club around 2.30 a.m. The manager said they closed at 2 and Kate had already left. I felt sick to my stomach. I resolved to confront Kate. I don't know when she got home that night because I was too drunk to go out to the parking lot and walk her in. When I awoke, she was beside me. In the living room, I saw her purse on the coffee table. I grabbed it up and started reading. At first, I didn't uncover anything, no drugs or anything else questionable. Then I spotted an empty dime bag and a rolled $1 bill in one of the little zippers. Is this what I've been looking for? On the coffee table it went and I went to work. I hoped she'd notice it and know I discovered it. 
My wife was getting ready for work. She was applying eyeliner in front of the bathroom mirror. I lean against the door, mirroring her. Hey babe, how was work, she asks. She didn't see me find the rolled one dollar bill. We need to talk about something, I say. I tell her I contacted the club, and they close at two on Sundays. She screams at me for being controlling and compulsive, not trusting her, and calling the club in the first place. It didn't bother me because I knew I wasn't being paranoid. It was classic gaslighting, which I was familiar with from a past relationship. The conflict rages on. I accuse her of lying about her drug use behind my back. Kokor, I say. That's when she swings her eyeliner at me. She stabs the eyeliner pencil about an inch and a half into my shoulder as I turn. She then punches her in the face approximately a dozen times. I don't hit or react. I was mostly stunned. After she finished yelling and striking me, we both stood still. I yank the pencil from my arm and toss it. I exit the restroom and head to the kitchen to patch up my arm with duct tape. She stabbed me in the back and left a good healthy scar. I walk out of the flat and into the liquor store. Katie blew up my phone she apologizes and when she doesn't get a reaction, she starts insulting and the cycle continues. I get a bottle of fireball whiskey and walk and drink. I ultimately black out and wake up to Jeffrey from yesterday's pool game and another guy trying to pull me out of the snow. They took me to their car because they observed me fall and not move on the side of the road and stopped to check on me. Today I wonder where those guys work because it was so early. I had been wandering for hours and probably blacked out long before I fell. They questioned me what was going on and why I was strolling around at that time of night so far away from town. My lips felt frozen and I couldn't speak. They dropped me off at home after I told them where I lived. When I enter, Kate is surprised and tries to help me warm up. In a pool of vomit in my bed, I blacked out again. I get up, shower, and walk into the living room to find Kate sobbing on the couch. We start talking, she apologizes for stabbing me with the eyeliner pencil, and she reveals she had started using coke again, going to her female co-workers' places to use it before returning home. It started as a way to get through work and quickly escalated. I asked her whether it was just coke or if she was more than just coke certain nights. She admits to taking Xanax to relax after a night of coke, but only occasionally. She pledged to quit doing drugs, lying about her location, and hiding anything from me again. But now that I knew she could lie and hide things from me, I was more cautious than usual. After a few weeks, things returned to normal. The only oddity was Kate's increased work schedule. She'd cover more or pick up extra shifts more frequently. She used to work four days a week but now works six or seven. When we had an argument on a night she wasn't supposed to work, she'd start getting dressed and tell me she texted her manager asking if she could come in to get away from me. We just had one car and Uber wasn't everywhere yet, so I couldn't go check on her. But one day, while Kate was at work, my friend and I were playing video games and decided we needed Taco Bell. Neither of us had it. We were hungry and I got out my phone to hunt out the nearest Taco Bell on Google Maps. That's when I discovered something new. We both had Google accounts on our phones at the time, so it showed both of our search histories for locations. On that day, she left for work and searched a random site in a nearby area. My mind spiraled again, 
so I told my friend I was tired and wanted to go home, leaving him perplexed. I double-checked everything on my phone and even searched on my computer to see if I was misinterpreting it. I wasn't. When Kate got home, I asked if she had worked that night. She became defensive and accused me of being a nutcase. My next move was to show her Google Maps and how someone searched this place just as she was leaving for work. I never visited there or Googled it, Google is wrong, ITS probably just a glitch, she said. Okay, I finally admit it. I'm back with a liar. Then I get a hotel in town. I spent many evenings sobbing and arguing with Kate on the phone. I was enraged because I'm dating someone who lies to me and keeps stuff for me. We ceased talking for two days after one of our furious arguments. We just stopped chatting, not broke up. I was desperately hoping she was simply doing drugs and not cheating. But I'm convinced she's cheating now and I can't shake it. After two nights in the motel, I was confident Kate wasn't cheating, she was just relapsing. And I have to assist her out. As a former drug addict, I know directly what addiction can do. I decide to forgive her. I knew she'd be back in a few hours and I'd meet her in the parking lot with flowers. I borrowed a friend's car, bought some flowers, and drove home. I park in the lot and wait for Kate to arrive. Around 2.45 a.m., I see our car pull up. But I saw a passenger. Kate wasn't driving. She was in the back seat. My car was driven by a stranger. I sat back and watched. What occurred next surprised me when a stranger parked my car. Another man exits the back seat. Who are they? They enter our apartment. I take out my phone and start texting Kate. I pretended to be ignorant to hear what she had to say. She had nothing to hide and these were platonic friends. If she was home from work, I texted her asking if I could come over and hash things out. I told her I was sorry for yelling and hurting her feelings during our disagreements. After about 15 minutes, I got a text from her saying, I just got home, but I need solitude. Let's talk tomorrow? As I read the text, my heart pounded. I smashed my head on the driving wheel in wrath and tears. I get out of my car and face her inside. On my way home, the door is locked. That's why I forgot my keys. On the opposite side of the door, I heard loud music. No one answered when I knocked. I move around the corner to our living and bedroom windows. We were on the first floor. No one is in our living room window. I was hoping to see them casually smoking cannabis. But where are they if they aren't in the living room? I continue down to our bedroom window. The blinds were down, but I could see in if I looked closely at the window's edge. My heart plummeted as I leaned in to see around the blinds. Behind the blinds, in our bed. My lovely girlfriend, whose son I adore, was being spit-roasted by the two men she entered with. I sat on the ground after leaning against the wall. So I took it in. For five minutes I sat there, vaguely hearing what was going on above me. I considered killing all three of them. I was enraged. I decided to get up and drive again. As my mind began to destroy the memories of the relationship I valued, I started chain-smoking cigarettes. It was all a lie. Everything I loved about Kate started to fade. Many of you have read my story about my college ex-girlfriend Lisa cheating on me. When Lisa cheated on me, 
I was enraged and did everything I could to exact vengeance. In that scenario, Lisa was severely assaulted and left damaged. After Lisa, I'm in the same position, but worse. But unlike Lisa, I don't seek vengeance on Kate. No, I'll kill myself this time. But first I'll kill Kate. I get in and drive. A petrol station that offers basic hunting and fishing gear 24 hours a day. They had no guns just hunting and skinning knives. I go back to my motel, get my keys to my apartment, and go home to paint my bedroom walls with their blood. When I arrive, I open the front door quietly. I creep down the corridor to our room. I'm holding the knife tight, expecting one of them to emerge. I slam my bedroom door. It's open, but the lights are out, so I can't see anything. Nothing is heard. I'm shivering and trying to regulate my breathing so no one hears me enter. Fearful of what I might see, I turn on the bedroom light. When the lights come on, I notice Kate alone on the bed, naked. Was I hallucinating, or did they leave before I returned? She didn't wake up, so I looked about. A condom wrapper on her nightstand proved what I observed, and that I wasn't crazy. We never used condoms. As I enter the room, the door to her son's room across the hall opens. After that, I stab one of the two males I saw earlier. Sure, it's Kate's son. Son. My initial reaction was, where is Kate's son? Why didn't Kate take him to daycare or her mom's before two random males her? Was the youngster present while she worked? In the hall while she was double-teamed? What is wrong with her? Daddy, you're back, he yells from his room, rushing in to embrace my leg. I put my hand on his brow and looked at the knife. I put the knife in my back pocket and kneel down to say goodbye to my stepson and mom. He then gives me the saddest look I've ever seen. I pick him up, tuck him up, and say goodbye. I knew it was my last chance to see him, but I didn't want him to know. I can't kill his mother now. He can't live without her. Even if I think she deserves to die, he doesn't. But I wanted to die. I go out of the apartment and down the street, sobbing. I sit on a bus stop bench, take out my knife, and start cutting my wrists. I was dying. I cut at them for about 10 minutes to increase blood flow. Hey man, what are you doing? One of the cops asks as a police cruiser approaches. I calmly say I'm done. He radios in more cops and before I know it, I'm surrounded by 15 or 20. About 20 minutes trying to get me to put down the knife. I'm a mess. The cop approaches me and asks for the knife. I look at the knife for a while. But he didn't talk me down. Nothing could now. I realized I couldn't get out of this without going to a psych ward. I raise the knife above my head and spring at the police, but I'm tasered and handcuffed before I can take two steps. I had made one huge error. I was afraid to advance towards the police for fear of being shot. But I forgot I was white, so I was merely tasered. The next thing I know, I'm in the back of a cruiser being driven to the hospital to be sedated and repaired. They gave me sedatives that put me out. The next thing I know, I'm in a psych ward for the criminally ill. It's worse than jail or prison. You can't tell the time or date, and you can't communicate with the outside world, or at least we couldn't. I won't go into detail about what I saw and felt. It was one of the most ominous sights I'd ever seen. 
The lawyer got me out on a technicality after about six weeks. I got out and took a taxi home. It was a three-hour drive. My taxi driver dropped me off at a McDonald's near my flat. I charged my phone. I didn't want to return there. After what I saw. My phone is ringing and I have texts from Kate. I was also fired from my job. My cards were maxed out. Kate had been using them because she had all my cards. I called Kate, who was overjoyed to hear from me, as she had been worrying about my whereabouts. I told her I would explain everything but she couldn't bring her son with her. She was perplexed at first but agreed to meet me after dropping her son off. Kate runs inside McDonald's and tries to hug and kiss me but I dismiss her and urge her to seat. This surprised her but she sits and I explain what happened. Before I was thrown into the ward. What she said stunned me. Kate dared to deny everything. Incorrect apartment, she said. I shook my head in disbelief and interrupted her. I told her if she lied to me again I would stand up, leave McDonald's, and she and her son would never see me again. I firmly stare at her, and she knows I mean every word. Have you been cheating on me? I repeat. She cries onto her lap. I have, she mutters. She then admits to switching from coke to meth and doubling up on Xanax every night. So he drove our car because she was too drunk to drive. I give her a long stare before letting out a loud sigh. I unplug my phone and stand up. Where are you going, she says. I'm going to do drugs, it's all I can think about right now, I tell her. She asks if we're still together as I pick up my bag. I say no, I didn't mean I'd stay if you told the truth, I was leaving anyway. Before I departed, I wanted you to admit it. What happened? For a few months. I was homeless and lived on the road. I'd move from place to town, primarily selling drugs at strip clubs and crashing. I slept in motels and outside. I made a lot of my own stuff. I shed about 65 pounds in a few months because I went days without eating or sleeping. I awoke one day in a clinic. I was getting convulsions and my organs were deteriorating. I was starving. I'm 6 feet 5 inches and weighed 155 pounds after a huge dinner. Every day, I saw multiple doctors and therapists attempting to figure out what was wrong with me. I was hospitalist for a month before being released. The physicians suggested I get sober. They decided that I had PTSD and a polysubstance addiction problem. After leaving the hospital, I spent about four months in a halfway house slash shelter. I found a sober program, went to meetings, and haven't used drugs since leaving the hospital. I received a new phone. Almost no one from my past made touch with me when I left the hospital. While in the halfway house, I began exercising to restore my size. I was a beanpole. A personal trainer at a nearby gym was my first employment out of the halfway home. My new career path, but the gym had become my new safe haven. Today, five years later, I am still sober. I am a healthy 265 pounds. I've been married two years. I own a successful business. When I got out of the hospital, I pondered what I wanted to do with my life. My first reaction was to hide. I still wanted to retaliate against Kate as I did with Lisa in college. After a few weeks of contemplation, 
I concluded the best retribution would be to live my life to the fullest. Most significantly, I determined to quit blaming myself for my experiences. This transformed my game. I quit blaming others or the world for my misfortunes. Five years later, and where my life has brought me. I'm glad I chose a different path. I no longer recognize myself. When I write about Lisa and Kate, I don't see myself. I see another troubled kid. In a few days I'll be I quit drinking a month before my birthday. I would not have believed you if you told me then that I would be where I am now. I'm glad I didn't kill myself or Kate that day. I'm glad I got up and kept going. I had to fall a few times to get up, but I flew. A few years after leaving the McDonald's, Kate admitted to cheating on me. And after conversing with her, I can vouch for that. Life is the best revenge. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.